0: Crossroads, good morning. As Todd said earlier, my name is Andy, and I have the uh, privilege of serving as one of Crossroads' global outreach partners in Nagoya, Japan. And uh, this is my first time to ever be at Crossroads, and you guys have an amazing church. I'm sure many of you already know that, but your church is fantastic. Your, Your facilities, but your band, didn't your band do an incredible job today? I mean, you guys get to listen to that every single weekend. That's amazing. Um, And I've had a chance over the past few days to meet many of you and many of your staff and your pastors and your leaders. Um, And I just want you to know, I have been so impressed with your leaders and pastors. Uh, They are just uh, men and women who are full of uh, professionalism, um, but really they are full of godliness. You have uh, leaders and elders and pastors who are godly, and uh, not every church can say that. So uh, you have a great church. But then there's your senior pastor, uh, Ken. Uh, I love Ken, actually. Uh, I've, I've known Ken uh, going all the way back. when I was, uh, over 10 years ago, I was a student at Ozark Christian College. And he was the president back then. And I remember as a student, uh, you know, a college student looking up to the president and going, oh, he's a good leader and he's a good preacher. I'm not proud of this at all. But I will show you my Facebook profile picture from 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's no lie. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, maybe if, if one day, I thought, if one day I could have hair like that, you know, then maybe all would be right in the world. I don't know what I was thinking, but let me show you a better picture, actually. This is my family now. That's a lot better. Uh, that's my beautiful wife, Jenny, and our son, Aiden. Sure. Uh, and, uh, We are expecting our second son in September, and we're excited about that. They are not here this morning. Uh, They are with Grammy and Grandpa, where they should be, uh, getting some uh, wonderful time with them. But I am here with our worship pastor from Japan. His name is Masaki, and you'll hear his story a little bit later. Um, But uh, I'm biased, but I think he's like the best worship pastor there is in all of Japan. And he also just got married the weekend before I came to America. Here's their wedding. I had the performed their wedding. Aren't they beautiful? Yes. He, le- he leaves, uh, we, starts his trek back for Japan tomorrow, and he is ready to go home and see his wife. Um, but I told him a number of months ago, I said, Masaki, if it ever works for you to come to America with me and to meet some of the people in the churches that have made it possible for you to hear the gospel and have your life changed by Jesus, would you please come? And uh, so I'm so glad he can be with us uh, today. Um, But to be honest with you this morning, I'm a little bit nervous to be preaching. And it's not that I'm speaking in public or in front of people. That doesn't usually bother me all that much. Um, But there's just something about being a guest missionary preacher in a church. Some of you have probably already kind of elbowed the person next to you. Ken's not on today. They've got the missionary up there, you know. You, you, nervous laughter but i know some of you think that way because i think that way i'm just being honest when i'm at a church and i'm going oh they got the missionary up there today he's going to be long and boring he's going to want to tell us stories of things they do on the mission field things they eat on the mission field and then he's going to make me feel guilty because of what they do and what we don't do and then at the very end they always remember to ask you for money and now I'm that guy, right? I don't want to be that guy. But I do want to instill a passion in our hearts this morning to take the word that we have received, that we have been changed by, and share it with the world. Todd mentioned earlier that we are in a series here at this church going through just simply called The Word. And Ken said at the very beginning of this series, he said, if you faithfully come, you will leave this series with a greater love for and a greater appreciation of the Word of God. And I hope that's true. But my task today is to say, how do we take this Word that we now have and how do we share it with a lost world? And so to be clear, when I'm talking about the word this morning, uh, I'm talking about more than just the book, the Bible that you have, but I'm talking about the message that is in that word, the gospel. It's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 1:18, when he says, The word of the cross, it is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So that word that we're talking about, it's the gospel the gospel. The message that left to our own, we are depraved, we are de- deserving of wrath, but that God, through Jesus and his death and his resurrection, makes it possible for us to be saved, to have our sins forgiven, and to live eternally with him. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And to focus our attentions, I want us to look at Second Corinthians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up or turn it on to 2 Corinthians. And we're going to talk about a couple things today from this text. We're going to talk about some motivational issues. I want to answer the question, why is it important for all of us here at Crossroads Christian Church to take the word and share it? But I also want to be practical today, and I want to talk about how we're all going to leave here today. What are some tools that we can have to actually share the Word of Christ with others? And when I preach, I just like to kind of teach through the Bible, um, just a verse at a time. And so what I want to do is I want to read through verses 11 through 21, and I'll maybe stop every now and then and uh, just talk about it. And so let's go ahead and start reading uh, chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Paul says, therefore, now stop there. You're thinking this is going to take a long time. We got through one word here. This is, this is really, it's an important word. Paul says, therefore, but therefore what? What's he talking about? Go ahead and look back at verse 10. If you have your Bibles open, I love seeing you have Bibles open. Look at verse 10. We're not gonna, it's not going to be on the screen. But if you read it in verse 10, Paul is saying that one day everybody will stand before the judgment seat of God and they will be judged by God. They will have to give an account for their lives. We're going to be judged, Paul says in verse ten, and so in verse eleven, Paul says, "Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So it's not just enough to give people information, but he says we persuade them, we convince them." He goes on. He says, "But what we are know, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience." We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, but not about what is in the heart. Paul is saying, you know me, the Corinthians, he's saying, you know how I've lived among you, and you know, he says, I'm not trying to boast, but you know that my heart and my actions among you have been pure. You know the way that I have lived my life among you, and how it's been godly. Wouldn't that be a great thing for us to be able to say to those who we know who are not Christians? But he goes on. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, or maybe your version says, if, if we are out of our minds, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. But either way, Paul says, it's not about me. He goes on. For the love of Christ the love of Christ controls us or compels us. Because we have concluded this, don't miss this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What Paul is saying here is he's saying once you have received this word of salvation— When you have received the gospel, you cease living for yourself. When you are saved, your whole life and your whole existence and your resources and your time and your energy should go to live for the sake of Christ. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And this next verse, verse 17, I love. It was the very first verse that I memorized in Japanese. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen. All of this is from God. Verse 18. All of this is from God. Now catch the key words in these next few verses. All of this is from God, who through Christ... I implore you on behalf of Christ, here it is again, be reconciled to God. Did you catch the key word in these verses? Five times in three verses we see this word, reconcile, reconcile, reconciliation. It is a key word to understanding what Paul is talking about. And it's a word that means uh, the unifying or the bringing together of two parties When previously there had been animosity and hostility and separation. And Paul's saying, that was us. That was me. That was you. We were at one point in hostility to God. Do you ever think of it that way? The Bible says that once we were enemies of God. But that God, through Jesus, has now unified us. He has made us one. He has made us right with God. And moreover, he says, now those of you who that has happened to, he says, now your job is to go out into the world and be ministers of that same reconciliation message, to go out and to help others be reconciled to God. And then it just doesn't get much better than this last verse. Verse 21, it says, for our sake, for my sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think this may be one of the very best missionary passages in all of the Bible. Because maybe clearer than any other place in the Bible, we learn about what God has done for us, but we also kind of get our job as Christians. What God would have us to do, he says, would be to go out to be ministers of reconciliation, to be ambassadors for Christ. And so today, that's what I want us to talk about this morning. I want to talk about, first of all, why? Maybe you hear all that and and you say, why? What is our motivation? What's driving us? What should drive us to share the word of God with the world? But then, as I said, secondly, okay, like how? How can we do that? So here's the answer to the first question. Why should we share the Word with the world? Because eternity is at stake. Because eternity is at stake. Remember, in verses 10 and 11, Paul is saying, I want you to know that one day every single person will have to stand before God to be judged. And therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we need to persuade other people. Knowing the fear of the Lord, and it's not a popular thing to talk about in church. I don't like talking about it, but the Bible is very clear that one day, that that those who do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ will spend eternity Separated from him. You probably don't like thinking about that, and I don't like talking about it, but the Bible is clear. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Church, do you believe that that is actually true, that there is no other name by which we must be saved? Do you believe that that as the author of Hebrews says uh, in chapter 10, verse 27, that there is a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And a few verses later, he says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want you to think if you actually believe these things are true. And I know it's not a popular belief, but this is, belief was the motivating truth for Paul to go out. He says, I actually believe, Paul says, that people without Christ are going to be separated from God. And he says, it's the love, it is the love of Christ that compels me to go out and to share with them. And I think sometimes there are non-Christians, there are atheists even, who understand this better than we do sometimes. Have you ever heard of Penn Gillette? Uh, he's a an magician and he's an entertainer. Uh, I think he works in Vegas. Um, and Penn, he is a very outspoken atheist. Very outspoken atheist. And he tells the story one time of after one of his shows, after one of his magician shows or something, somebody comes up to him with the Bible in hand and tries to convert this very outspoken atheist. And you would think, because you know, he's very vocal about it, that he would be upset at this you know, bigot Christian trying to convert him, but he's not. I want you to listen to what Mr. Gillette says. He says, I don't respect Christians who actually don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. Because if you believe, really, that there is a heaven and a hell, and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not worth telling them because then it would make things socially awkward between us. He says, how much do you have to hate somebody not to evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible for me and not tell me? I mean, if I believed, he said, beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was going to hit you and you didn't believe it, He says, there's a time where I'm just going to go ahead and tackle you. It's that important. But he says, what you guys believe is more important than that. And sometimes truth can come from the strangest of places. But the Apostle Paul says that the reason that I'm laying down my life my energy, my money, my resources for the sake of Christ is because he says, I believe that one day people who don't know Christ will be judged. And he says, The love of Christ compels me. And it should compel us too. And can I use this, if you would let me, as an opportunity to talk a little bit about why we are in Japan in our ministry in Japan? Because the, reason, the real reason we are in Japan, it's not just because I really love Japan or I love sushi or something. Like, I, I like sushi's good. Um, I'm a Texan, so I always say, I'll always choose grilled beef over raw fish any day, but it's still good. But the real reason that we are in Japan, as Todd said earlier, is because less than 2% of the Japanese people are Christian. 0.2% of the population are in a church on a Sunday, 0.2% of the people. And we just believe they deserve a chance to hear the gospel. The Shintoism and the Buddhism of the past in Japan, it's kind of fading a little bit, but, but practically, a lot of the Japanese, they function as practical atheists or agnostics. And they really don't have a good idea of who God is, especially the kind of God that we read about in the Bible. Now, it's, it's an amazing place. Actually, if anybody's ever been to, to Japan, could you raise your hand? Has anybody in this crowd ever been to Japan before? Masaki's been. That's good. Okay. Anybody? Okay. We've got, we've got a handful of people. Uh, I see some hands raised. If you've been, you know it is an incredible place. It is beautiful, and it is quiet, and it is nice, and it is safe. And the Japanese people are some of the nicest people you will ever meet in your life. But spiritually speaking, Japan is a pretty dark place. Uh, Depression in Japan is almost epidemic, and there is really no framework to know what to do about your depression because this is the country where duty is the big thing. You do what you got to do, what society tells you you're supposed to do, and so you put your head down, you repress your feelings, and you just go about your day and after day after day. And I think that's why suicide rates are some of the highest in the world in Japan. There's a social phenomenon in Japan called hikikomori. And hikikomori is a, um, it's where you completely withdraw from society. It affects mainly young men, but sometimes young women. But what they'll do is they will recluse themselves in their room, and they will have no interaction with anybody. They will play video games all day long. Their moms will bring them food to eat, and they will have no interaction with actual people. And some of you are saying, I think my teenager may have hikikomori, right? It's summertime, right? But, but they'll stay like this for years sometimes. There are men in their 40s who have been that way for 20 years. It's a huge problem. There's sexual depravity uh, in Japan. If you walk through the streets of Japan, you'll see visible sex shops and prostitution. Child pornography is very easily accessible. It's kind of legal. The evil one has made such a perversion of sexuality that it's very common for couples who are not married to have as much sex as possible, but once they get married to stop which leads to loneliness and pornography use and very high adultery rates and absent fathers. And so while it is an incredibly beautiful, amazing place to live, spiritually speaking, it is a very dark place. And if you were to ever come, and I hope some of you have a chance to come and visit us sometime, but if you were ever to to come to Japan, I would take you to one of my favorite places in the city, It's a cafe, and it's located on the top floor of a high-rise building in downtown Nagoya. It's a city of about the size of Chicago. It's huge. As far as the eye can see, there are buildings, and there are trains, and cars, and people. And if you were to come, I would say, would you just take a minute and go by the window? Just take a minute and look through the city. And as you look, I want you to look at every building and every car, I want you to think about every single person that is represented in this picture. The person who's driving this car down here. The person who flipped on this light switch. The conductor who's driving the train. And I want you to take a minute and think about the fact that almost every single person in every single building, in every single car, will be facing the wrath of God. And it's a heavy moment when you can feel and see for yourself the lostness of Japan. And it's not because they've heard the gospel and chosen to reject it. It's because most of them have never in their lives heard a clear proclamation of the gospel. And this is why we are there. Because we believe that every single one of them deserves a chance to hear the gospel. And if we don't do something about it, it's not going to change. And that's why we started Mustard Seed Christian Church. Because we believe we want them to hear the gospel. As Todd said, uh, we moved there about seven and a half years ago. Spent a couple of years learning Japanese. And then we started our church five and a half years ago. And before we went, there were people, even people from churches, who would say, good luck, but the church is dead in Japan. People don't become Christians in Japan. It's a graveyard for missionaries. It's going to take you five, seven years before you even see a Japanese person come to faith. (laughs) And we just chose to believe God. And he has been doing amazing things through our church. Um, We're at five and a half years now. We moved out of that sports bar. Uh, Thank goodness it stunk. Uh, We moved into a dance studio after that, but now we have our own permanent uh, location, and we are by God's grace, growing more than we ever have before. A few years ago, we were able to plant our second church in the city of Osaka. And between the two churches, we have baptized over 50 people, which in Japan is incredible. And there are two Japanese staff members who are working for us at our church in Nagoya. And God is doing great things in Japan. And because you may not ever be able to come and visit us, I want, I want to show you a two-minute video that will highlight what God is doing, and then we'll keep talking about 2 Corinthians. Watch this. Hi, thanks for checking out Mustard Seed Christian Church. You know, Jesus once said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. That even though it's the smallest of all the seeds, when you plant it, it becomes a large tree. And that tree becomes a place of refuge. Even though it starts out small, it grows. And when it does, it makes a difference. That's what Mustard Seed Christian Church is all about. Nagoya is full of universities, professional sports teams, and small businesses. It's even home to many large international companies. In a place like Nagoya that's densely populated and very influential, our church is like a mustard seed. We started very small, but by God's grace, we're growing to be a place of refuge, a place of hope and peace and meaning for the people in and around Nagoya. Mastered Seed Christian Church a a and Japanese in the Nagoya, if you come to mustard seed christian church you'll hear god's truth spoken from the bible and experience an engaging time of worship of god through music you'll hear the life-changing message of jesus christ and how to follow him and you'll experience a community of people who you can learn with grow with and laugh with so if you can please come for a service and join with us in becoming growing Christ-centered disciples who relentlessly engage the world for God's glory. We can't wait to see you. Man, makes me want to get home. I love that place. I want to say just real quick to you guys, to Crossroads, thank you guys so much. Um, For the past seven years, this church has been a faithful supporter and prayer Uh, for our ministry and what you saw would not have happened if it wasn't for the generosity and the prayers of this church. So just know that you are truly a partner with what God is doing in Japan. I just want to thank you guys very much. But let's get back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because I said I want to talk about why we should share the word that we have with the world because eternity really is at stake and I hope we believe that. But so what? Like say you actually believe that's true How can we then go out and do this? From this text this morning, I want to mention two simple ways. The first one is this. Let us live in such a way that draws people to Christ. That's what Paul was saying in, in, in verses 11 through 13. Remember, he was saying, you know how I've lived. You know what my heart has been, and you should be able to boast how I've lived among you, is your life the same way? Would you be able to say that to the non-Christians who you know in your life? Because one of the best things, one of the best ways that we as a church can be a witness for Christ is through our actions. Because the non-Christians that you know, they don't care that you come to church. It doesn't bother them. They don't care that you serve or maybe that you go on a mission trip. But listen, they are watching the way that you live. And so what I want you to ask yourself is, is there in everything that I am doing in my life, ask yourself, in everything that I do, am I trying to make God look great in everything? Is there any part of your life that maybe would be helpful for you to change. Not so that you can boast, and not so that you can be more religious, but so that you can, first of all, glorify God, but second of all, so that you can be a witness for Christ for those who don't know him. Any part of your life, the way you treat your wife, the way you speak of your husband, the way that you parent, the vocabulary that you use, the way that you drive, watch out, the, the kindness with which you speak of others, listen, especially those who disagree with you, philosophically, politically, is there anything in your life that you could change to be a better witness for Christ? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, let's, let's crossroads. Let us, live, let us live such good lives among the pagans. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So your lifestyle is one way that you can share the word with the world. But the second one is this. Let us speak in such a way that draws people to Christ. Now this one's a little bit harder for us. A, A lot of people want to genuinely live for Jesus please don't make me say very much about it. It's not my personality. Um, It's not my gifting. Uh, I, I want people to know by my actions that I'm a Christian. And that's good. I mean, we just saw that should be one of the main ways that we do this. But Paul says, it's not enough. That if you're going to be an ambassador for Christ... If you're going to be a minister of reconciliation, and he says if you're a Christian, then that is what you are. It's not just for pastors or missionaries. That's for Christians. If you're going to be one of those, then your lifestyle needs to be right. But he also says, then you need to speak. Maybe you've heard the quote, in, um, do all things you can to preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Have you heard this? It sounds nice, right? Just preach by my lifestyle. It sounds good, but it's just... It's just not very biblical. And I think a a better biblically accurate way of saying this would be do all you can to preach the gospel. And if it's possible, you should use words. Because Paul is saying, that is how I can be a minister of reconciliation. That is how I can help people unify with God by using my words and sharing with them the gospel. And so my challenge for you today is, first of all, Could you identify one area in your life that you could change, not so that you can be legalistic or religious, but so that you can more accurately reflect Christ? That's the first thing. But the second thing is this. I I want you to identify one person in your life to whom you can share the word of Christ with them. I don't know who that is. It, It may be a coworker, it may be a family, a son, a mother, a father. It may be just a friend that you've been, you know, living with, a neighbor, and they know you're a Christian, but you haven't said anything about it yet. Could you identify one person to whom you could share? And it doesn't need to be confusing. It doesn't need to be long or complicated. You can just share your story of what God has done in your life. Could you identify one person and then leave the results to God? Trust God. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is, this is, you're, you're sitting here going, you know, he's talking, but, but that really has nothing to do with me. My challenge for you is that you would not walk out the doors this morning without deciding to yourself be unified with God. That you would not leave without saying, I want the old me to be gone God knows. He knows your past. He knows what you're going through. He knows your addictions and your depression. And say, God, I want those things to be gone and forgiven and I want to be made new today. He could do that for your life. He's done it for me and for many in here. He's done it for Masaki, uh, my friend. And I want to share with you Masaki's story and then I'll close. My friend Masaki, he came to our church about five and a half years ago and he was a complete non-Christian. I mean, He knew very little about Jesus at the time. I think he probably wanted to speak English some or maybe make some friends. But for whatever reason, he started coming to our church. And pretty soon, he got really involved. He would come to every week on Sunday morning, he would be there. And he would even come to like midweek Bible studies that we would have. He'd come more prepared than like me. He would, you know, had read it and had questions ready to ask and ask really good questions. And he would get involved in our band on Sunday where He played guitar, just, you know, just electric guitar in the back. And he was, I was thinking, Masaki's gonna, he's gonna become a Christian and do great things for God. And he walked away. He said, I've had I've had enough. I tried the whole Christianity thing. It was fine. I learned some things, but it's not from me. I'm gonna try to live life on my own. And he left. And he was gone for four or five years six months and we didn't hear anything from him but we never gave up but we kept praying for him and one day out of the blue we see Masaki walking up to church and he said I tried living on my own uh, but I've realized that you guys still have something that I don't have and that I wasn't able to have trying to do it on my own so is it okay if I keep learning so he, he kept back and Just a couple weeks later, he said, okay, guys, I'm ready. Uh, I know the gospel. I believe it. I've counted the cost of what it means for me as a Japanese man to become a Christian in Japan, and I'm ready to become a Christian and be baptized. Here's a picture of Masaki getting baptized. Isn't that great? (laughs) Isn't that a great smile? This this was a few years ago. This is about uh, three, three and a half years ago. A couple weeks after this, uh, it was our Easter Sunday. And uh, like here, it's a big Sunday for us. We don't meet in the Ford Center, but we have a lot of people for us. Um, And it's a special Sunday and he was playing guitar in the band that week. Um, And during the first set of songs before the sermon, our lead uh, worship pastor, he lost his voice completely. And so during the sermon, The worship pastor goes up to Masaki, and he says, Masaki, I know you've never sang in church before. I know you didn't practice, but we need you to sing. Could you do it? And Masaki said, okay, I'll sing. I will sing for God who saved me. And the song after the sermon was stronger. And I I can't hear the song now without getting emotional, but I'm seeing Masaki, who's still dripping wet from his baptism, pretty much. He stood up that Sunday and with all he had, he sang out stronger. You are stronger. It is written that Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. And I'm thinking, Masaki, look what what God has done in your life. Look how God has taken the old Masaki and has made it new. And the the same thing that God did for Masaki, he could do for anybody here today. And that very first song that Masaki sang as a Christian, he's going to lead us in today as our closing song. I'm going to ask Masaki to come up and the rest of the band. And uh, Masaki's going to sing the first verse in Japanese, and then the second half he's going to sing in English. Please feel free to try to sing along with him. Uh, the words, they'll be on the screen. You're welcome to try. Um <laughs> But if you don't sing, uh, can I encourage you to just sit where you are and listen uh, to, um, listen to this, the words and consider what God has done in your life. Take some time, first of all, to just thank God that you were once an enemy of him and now you've been reconciled to him and ask God to give you courage, boldness to be a minister of reconciliation. And if you're here and you're saying, I'm not a Christian today, um, would you consider what it would mean, what it could look like for you to be saved, to be unified with God, and to be made new. Let's pray, and let's sing. God, I thank you so much for Jesus and for the message of salvation. God, I thank you that that eternity is at stake, and God, that because of Jesus, I can have confidence that my eternity is with you, and I celebrate that. God, I know that there are millions in Japan and even millions here that still don't know you. God, I pray that the reality of their eternity would be very real to us, very motivating for us. God, help us all to be a minister of reconciliation through our actions, through our lifestyle, and through our words. God, thank you so much for our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name.